Hey, this is Dave Harkins. Welcome to the Working Life Project. My guest, Jim Mitchum, has been writing stories since he was a child. As a teenager, he traded writing for alcohol. After a stint in the U.S. Air Force, he wandered around the country until one day in 1991, just before his 27th birthday, he woke in a New York City gutter with a call to a better life. He gave up drinking, returned to college to earn a bachelor's degree in English, married, and started a family. He found work in the corporate world as a copywriter before starting the virtual ad agency Smash Communications in 2001. From 2009 to 2015, he led marketing for Boxman Studios and helped the company earn notice by Inc. Magazine as one of the nation's fastest-growing companies. In 2014, he published his first novel, Minor King. He recently published the book Gone Dogs in collaboration with other dog lovers and is working on his second novel. He continues to run Smash Communications and is also a partner in the digital strategy firm Out of the Ether. Jim joined me in the studio in March 2018 to record this interview for my graduate work in entrepreneurship. Hi, Jim. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Smash and how you got started? Well, hey, thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Um, So I I got into... uh, to I, I, I started Smash Communications in 2001. After an 18-month stint with an ad agency, I uh, came through the ad agency world as a copywriter, and um, was a non-traditional uh, college student at 30 or so. Uh, I was went, went to college and uh, studied literature, and uh, I was a writing emphasis major, and. When I transferred from a school in New Jersey to the school in Florida, they didn't have a writing emphasis track. So I jumped on a literature track and I decided I was going to teach high school English. Um, I love to write. I love to deconstruct literature. And um, during that time, I, I took like 63 credits in 10 months or something. That's that's the, the amount of uh, money we had to uh, allotted for me to get through school, so I had to jam it all in. I went to three schools at once and took as many courses as I could with the word writing in the title, and one of those was copywriting. I didn't know anything about it. In the very first class, I was like, I had an epiphany and realized that I've pretty much been doing copywriting in my head my whole life, and uh, after the first couple of weeks, my professor pulled me aside and said, you know, you sure you've never done this before? Like, no, I just like to write, and this is very interesting to me. Getting motiv- motivating, mobilizing people to uh, to think differently about things. So he encouraged me to uh, stick with it, and I did. And uh, I got a job right out of college with Citibank, who had a uh, their creative department in Jacksonville. Um, and uh, an art director and copywriter team from Saatchi and Saatchi came down and ran the department. They took me in, took me under their wing, and after about six months, they said, you know, we don't have any more work for you. You've got to get out of here. So Jacksonville was, 
if anybody's listening from Jacksonville, I mean no offense, but it wasn't exactly the creative mecca of, of the world. And um, so I, I started looking back up in New York City. I didn't really want to move back up there because of the weather. I just don't like the cold. And uh, was interviewed at three agencies in New York, one in Richmond and one in Charlotte. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, got two offers in New York and uh, and one in Charlotte. And the, the Charlotte agency um, moved us up here. They, the package was better and we liked the weather. And it was halfway between where my wife grew up and where I grew up. And uh, so we moved and I, and I joined an ad agency and spent 18 months um, doing great work. I mean, it was, it was amazing being uh, spoon-fed all this, uh, this work that was different. And, uh, it, it, I was sure, you know, it was, a, it was being able to move from client to client to client and not have to think about anything else except for doing creative work was a, a real treat. And we did, we sold a lot of stuff and we won a lot of awards and, but there was just something I didn't fit in, in, in this particular ad agency. Uh, it was a little too creative or too, uh, I don't know, non, non-traditional. It was more like a PR firm than an ad agency. And uh, I like to work with my door closed, and that's where I, the juices would flow, and, and that wasn't, you know, accepted. And after about 18 months, I was asked, you know, hey, we, we like your work, but you just don't fit in. You know, we're going to have to let you go. So it was devastating. I just had a baby. We just bought our first house. Um, but what are you going to do? So I, I decided right then, rather than to put a portfolio together and start shopping myself at other agencies. I was going to take a shot. I'd learned a lot in 18 months. I was an adult coming into this. So because I was a non-traditional student, I had a, a shift in careers later in life. You know, I was able to to be a sponge at the agency and learn how it worked. And um, there were certain things that I didn't agree with, like how they marked up uh, traditional media and print ads and billboards and things like that. The agency lived, they it would oftentimes give the creative away for free just so they could get that media buy in a 15% markup. I decided that I was going to focus on doing the creative, doing the stuff that mattered and, and not mark anything up and just get paid on the creative side. So that's when I launched Smash Communications. And because I didn't have a brick and mortar shop, um, this was the early stages of the internet. Um, I, I decided to network with as many designers as I could find that I thought were, uh, were, were quality designers from their work and created a little mini network of three or four designers and I would go out and pitch small businesses and who were running ads that were not, didn't look successful to me. So I'd, I'd approach these companies and say, hey, you know, maybe we could do your creative for you and we won't mark anything up. You can continue to buy your media. And, and that's how it started. The trick was back then, because, you know, this is 2001, 2002. Um, the trick was, how do you collaborate virtually with people? So I, I built a website, and that was the, my marketing tool. And it had a whole bunch of imagery on it from the work I'd done before, you know, just to qualify me as a creative person. Um, and when, when we get the work, uh, the first thing I would do is call a designer who I thought was a good match, and we collaborate, and then we'd use email, and then for bigger files, we'd use FTP, or even jazz disks. We would send jazz disks back and forth to each oh, other. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. This big bulky disk, Federal, Federal Express. Somehow, we made it work. You know, as the, as the internet continued to evolve, you know, the, the means of collaboration 
continue to evolve with it. And, you know, it, it got a little easier to share files and to, to collaborate online. By the time about 2005 rolled around, you know, I was doing moderate work. I mean, I was able to help pay our mortgage and stuff, and I was happy and being creative. But uh, I found it really tedious to go out there and continue to knock on doors and get business. It's about that time where I just I realized that if you were to Google virtual ad agency, that Smash came up first, no matter where you were, because no one else was doing this. And then it was about 2005 when other companies started picking up on this, and pretty soon Smash fell down on page two or whatever. Um, but it, it was kind of neat to, to do something that had never been really done before um, with the with virtual collaboration and sure. solving problems. What was that like? I mean, when you did that startup, you were you were sort of bootstrapping the the business. You had a had that had a baby and a mortgage and all of that. What was that? Uh, what was that like to to get that off the ground? Yeah, yeah it's not stressful at all. No, Nothing. not at all. Um, yeah. No, so um, it, of course it it was crazy stressful, going from month to month and wondering whether or not. Uh, you were gonna have the money to pay to pay the rent or the mortgage that month, but somehow uh, things always seem to work out, and I, I, I attribute that to uh, to I, I'm a I'm a man of faith. I, I believe that uh, that if you're honest with yourself and honest with those around you, that um, and you're doing the work, that things tend to work out. So that was my business model, going on faith, basically. Uh, and, and sure enough, it worked out. And it was about 2006 where a company found us through Google search. And uh, a company in, uh, outside of Raleigh, uh, a major petroleum company, they own um, gas stations around the southeast. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they brought us in and interviewed us. And uh, turned out it was a human resources department for uh, a major convenience store chain. And... They, they, they hired us to, to do this impossible website that was going that needed to drive a bunch of traffic and, and, and basically vet uh, candidates and get them to upload resumes and whatnot. And it took about six to eight months to, to complete the, the website component. But we also did collateral, which was, you know, uh, in-store posters and whatnot. So it was, a, it was a pretty nice branding job. Well, that, that, that client went over about two years and it, it was, I went from making it month to month or quarter to quarter to being set for a year through through this one client. And it was great. It was great work. And then and then of course the recession hit and the gas margins fell through the floor and they stopped hiring. But in the meantime, we basically uh, the, the kind of work we did crashed their servers routinely because we were integrating what was new in SEO at the time. And uh, in, in driving so much traffic to their website that, that they had to change servers, I think twice in the first six months or something. So That's a good we, problem to have. Yeah, for we, we, we felt like we were doing our job right there. Um, anyway, so so that ended, and when that ended, you know, I didn't have anything else lined up, and that was a, a mistake. But it was such a big project that it was consuming all of my time and and the designers that I had working on it with me, and getting out and networking and and driving more business to was just secondary. It wasn't something I was thinking about. So big mistake. Right. Well, but that's not an uncommon mistake for entrepreneurs because if you're a one-man shop or a two-man shop, you're once you get the business, you actually have to do it. So uh, keeping 
keeping that work in the pipeline is is an important thing to that's do and critical. and so few do it yeah and, and that's something now today that you know we it's it, it's my primary focus you know I could be working on two projects at once but it's I'm always looking out what's next what's next what's next I got to keep the queue full right mm-hmm. so we're coming out of this uh, convenience store project having done really well and I had a little bit of a cushion to uh, to lean on and I had a couple of clients in in, in the interim nothing that on the scale of the convenience store project but um, it was about that time where I got a, a call from uh, an entrepreneur, a local entrepreneur in Charlotte, who had uh, a shipping container, and he called me and said, "You know, my lawyer knows you're you, and uh, she she recommended that I call you, and you're a branding guy, and I have this idea." So, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and catering to small to mid-sized businesses, you get a lot of crazy ideas come your way. Sure, and it's it's hard to, I mean. You want to be uh, professional about handling these crazy calls. So uh, I hear this guy talking about a shipping container, and he wants to maybe change it into a a, a mobile tent company. You know, going up against tent companies as a as some kind of party venue. And uh, you know, I, I heard him out. Thirty minute phone call, and I I gave him some advice and said, you know, you should consider this, this, and this. And I hung up and thought I'd never hear from him again. And uh, a week later, he calls back and says, hey, I'd like to come see my prototype. So got the car, went over and looked at uh, this, this shipping container on the west side of Charlotte in a warehouse that was barely big enough to contain the, the actual shipping container. And he had he had a welder there, and the welder cut out the, the sides of the shipping container, laid them down, and they had put bamboo flooring in and, and bolted a few couches to the floor and put in some nice lighting. And I'm like, wow. And there was a bar inside of it. And I'm like, this is it's pretty amazing. And, and not only that, it's highly marketable. This is a really good idea. So a couple of months go by, and um, this guy, you know, hires my firm to create a brand for him and that's where Boxman Studios came about and I st- stuck with Boxman for five years and uh, it was it was a very interesting uh, phase of, of my life I, I I put smash on the back burner to focus exclusively on this this new company and um, ran everything for them from uh, you know the marketing and the sales and uh, the branding and a- advertising and uh, the the trick was he had no money. There was all the money that he had he was dumping into research and development to try to build a better box, basically. So if I recall correctly, you you launched that program for Boxman with, as you said, no money, and no you money. concentrated primarily on social media, right? Yeah, well, this is even just a little bit before social media hit, and um, it... it <laughs> The, the building the brand part was second nature. It was, it was really fun to to think about who this audience was and how we could uh, capture their imagination and, and kind of tell the story of this one box that we had at the time. And so that's what we focused on. We built a three-page website. We built a brand, uh, with this beautiful logo of a little Atlas guy holding a, a shipping container because... Part of the appeal was that, was that these things were mobile. We were able to move them around, and then uh, named it Boxman Studios, uh, so that we had some um, 
room to move in, in different directions should the company take off. We didn't want to go, even though in the beginning our, our competition was uh, 10 companies, we didn't want to focus on that exclusively because, you know, it was such an early phase of this concept that it could move in a bunch of different directions. So Boxwood Studios tagline, just add people. Very simple, beautiful, elegant branding. And uh, we built a three-page website because really that's all the, the money that we had to do anything. So we told our story on a three-page website. And then right about then, social media started to come into play. One of the things that uh, that is going to be repeated in this is that the idea of risk, right? If, if, if you're not willing to risk, then you you cannot be an entrepreneur. You you must have a willingness to survey what's ahead of you and then make a jump, make a leap. And there's that leap of faith again, right? So um, I, I, I jumped into social media with both feet and I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, it turned out that it was, back then it was less of a, a marketing platform than it was this serendipitous place where we could have conversations with people around the world who shared your interest in real time. And it was remarkable. Um, you know, I was making friends in Budapest and in and, and Japan and California and New York. And I was talking to creative directors of these major ad agencies because we were all in there together, like learning about this new platform. In fact, that's uh, how we met too, right? We met on Twitter. I was on, two th uh, I got on Twitter in 2008. I, I oh, pooped okay. it in 2007. Yeah, someone said, hey, you've got to check this out. And I'm like, no, there's no, you know what it is? I, I looked at it and I said, there's no, there's no marketing component in it. I can't, I, I, I looked at it and went, this is, I, I can't move my clients into this platform because I just don't see the value in it. This is, uh, and then, and then, and then, Suddenly, at the end of 2007, it all hit me, and I, I realized what this is. This is going to change the world, right? This is the, this open platform for communication, uh, and and yes, there was a marketing component that could have that 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 could be there, but more important than that, there was the opportunity to actually connect with real people, right? Because traditional advertising is not. Uh, wasn't always based on authenticity. Let's just say when when I when my mother found out I was getting into advertising, you know, she was like, "Well, that's that's not a good thing because you're going to go tell lies to people." And, and I'm like, "Mom, I I'm going to do my best not to ever tell a lie." Uh, and and sure enough, to this day, in 20 years in this business, I've never lied about any product. Now I've I've used uh, some creativity to to make people look at things differently but have never you know lied so so anyway so i my my concern with twitter was how can you get in there and be yourself and be honest with other people and sell stuff because selling is, is you know is it's it's almost a dark art right um, and, and the reputation of advertising and pulling that into this authentic uh, platform just didn't feel right to me so I think it was about 2000 and, uh, 2008 when I decided, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take Boxman, I'm going to put it into this uh, into Twitter and see what happens and create an account there and um, started pushing it around through my my channels and all we were doing was talking about the idea, talking about, you know, what what this shipping container was and 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 how we and how it could uh, 
enhance someone's, you know, parties or whatnot. And it took off. People, people were interested. We started seeing more traffic to the website, and uh, and then the phone started to ring, and remarkably so. You know, we were getting calls from people saying, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And we were wide open to do anything. I, the guy I worked with, David Campbell, he was notorious for saying yes to everything. So it, it didn't matter what you were doing. He would say yes, and we were going to build it and uh, send it out. And, and once you experienced it, you know, the word of mouth started taking off. So there was Twitter again playing a part in social media in this. So everything was linking back to our website. Our website started to grow a little bit. SEO was uh, something that was becoming more and more important. While a lot of people were doing black hat SEO tactics back then, uh, stuffing keywords and such, I made a decision to, to not do that, just to be as authentic as possible and just do the storytelling. Well. Cut to the chase. Uh, three and a half years later, we were named the fastest growing company in Charlotte um, and the 120th fastest growing in the United States. Uh, with over 3,000% growth, we went from one warehouse uh, with that could barely hold one container to another warehouse that maybe could hold six to eight, and then finally into a 70,000 square foot warehouse where they, they currently reside that they can hold, you know, a hundred of these boxes, uh, shipping containers. It was, uh, we, we grew by, uh, for, for three reasons really. Um, one was uh, understanding how SEO worked and understanding the Google algorithm and uh, what, what it was looking for. And we, we built our content back in 2008, 2009, 2010, on, on what Google was looking for, but also with a human element so that the stories were, were captivating, so that the, the, both the Google robots could understand what we were talking about and the, and the humans could, could be driven into this funnel where we asked them to make you know, a call to action, whether sign up for a newsletter or reach out to us or whatnot. And then social media, Word of, and it wasn't just social media. It wasn't just having a Twitter account and posting stuff. It was, I was highly engaged in social media back in the day when I was running this account for the first three years by myself, basically. It was all about engaging people and answering questions and talking and, and doing the things that, you know, came natural. Um, and, but it wasn't what I was doing in social media, it was what other people were doing with the concept in social media. So there once was a time when Twitter was a place where people shared cool stuff and, and it wasn't just you know uh, news stories about you know politics. It was you know we, we shared each other's victories and we, we consoled each other's when, when, when things weren't going well. And it was a very human place. And, and it was our network that grew this company because the beauty of social media is that there's a ripple effect that you don't control. If, if the content is good, if the idea is good, uh, you throw that pebble into the lake and you have no idea where that, how far that ripple's gonna go because someone's gonna pick it up and throw it even further. There's gonna be pebbles thrown all over the place. We were, by 2010, 2011, we were getting calls from Asia about doing activations in different places. In 2012, we were contacted by Google to uh, build the, 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 the Democratic National Convention was here in Charlotte, and there was an empty block downtown, I guess, where there were a future building was gonna go, and Google rented that land, 
and used 36 of our shipping containers to create this amazing experience right in downtown Charlotte with all these Google colored shipping containers. It was, a, it was a pretty big hit. It was a big challenge though because Google basically said, you can't say anything about this. So me as the marketing guy, I'm like, well, wait a minute. This is, we're doing this for almost nothing, you know, which we did. We just wanted the publicity. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they come back and hit us and said, you know, you can't, you can't say anything about it. And, and oh, by the way, don't think you can get away with saying anything that we won't see because we're Google. We are the internet. We'll see everything. Uh, so that, that required me to get a little creative in, in how to publicize this. And, um, so I, you know, I put on my thinking cap, how, how can we get around this? And I decided that we would use Instagram because that was the beginning in the day, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and, and tell our network that, you know, we're gonna give away a $500 prize to the best photograph of a shipping container that you might see during the DNC, because it was a week long, right? And people would say, well, are you, are you guys, this?" How do we know if it's your shipping container? Like, if there's a shipping container in Charlotte, the chances are it probably has to do with us. So, if you see a shipping container, tweet it out. Use this hashtag in the wild, and uh, and you know we'll compile all the results and give away a $500 prize at the at the end of the DNC. And boy, did that work! I mean, oh, people, I people were people were shooting, snapping photographs, and doing our marketing for us, basically. Without us, you know, they would tag us, Boxman Studios. They would use the hashtag. Um, and yes, every shipping container in Charlotte, there were three different activations, were our shipping containers, but we we weren't allowed to talk about them directly. So uh, I feel like I got over on Google on that one. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so so. I spent five years building that company and, uh, you know, just got bored basically at the end. I'd done everything I could possibly do. I, I hired an intern, trained, trained him on, you know, how to create content calendars and use social media and, and tell stories and, and basically do all the marketing for, and, and the, the remarkable thing about the, all that growth that we had in those five years is that we didn't spend one dollar on traditional advertising. So I went from, early 2000, uh, working for an ad agency that would buy media and, and mark it up. And I, and I would scratch my head and go, I just don't understand how, you know, a billboard could be that valuable. Uh, but people would pay it because you were limited to basically, you know, radio, TV, uh, outdoor, direct mail, whatever. And, uh, and then I shifted from that to focusing on the creative. And then I shifted it again, focusing on branding with Boxman and, and using these new tools that we're about. So it's all been about risk and, and change and being willing to, to make changes. And, uh, you know, I've seen some success doing that. So and, that, saying, and saying yes along the way and saying as, yes as and, these new things pop up. You know, do, you, do you think in social today and this interactive technology we have today, do you think it's possible to, to have the same level of success that you had without spending money? No, no way. It was a perfect storm is what it was. I had a really great concept. Uh, first of all, that was, that was the key. The concept uh, for turning a shipping container into this cool um, environment that people could interact and engage in uh, was genius. It, it, uh, it had never been done before. And, and then at, at the same time, you know, we were in a recession. We were just coming out of a recession, so nobody had any money to do anything. Uh, at the same time, social media was coming online and it was becoming more and more important. And, and between having a great concept 
and having these new these new platforms to talk about you know this this idea it, it was the combination of those two things and yes uh having a, a a storyteller on board to help advance that narrative didn't hurt either but um it, it was just a perfect storm i there's i i just don't see it happening anymore i so so when i left box when i i spent a year back in smash thinking okay i'm gonna re reboot smash as this company that can help other companies do what I did for Boxman. So I wanted to go in and, and evaluate and create these, uh, I call them sustainable marketing programs within organizations that basically focused on creating content um, and then sharing and distributing that content and getting the, the, the entire company on board with understanding how social media works and how they can share these things and then creating these ripples that created traffic, that created inquiries, that created sales. That was the whole point. And that's how we did it at, at Boxman Studios. And uh, I, I realized people just weren't ready for that kind of change yet. I, I, I think that that first year after leaving Boxman, I had maybe two clients, and it was traditional advertising. And I'm and I'm thinking, oh, I want to do this new stuff. I want to I want I want to help companies actually see results that they can measure, um, and and not focus on creating billboards anymore or direct mail anymore. I, there's no legacy in that. They, when those things go away, they're gone. Those are pretty expensive things. We can, you know, anyway, it turns out the people I, would I talked to were just not, they thought it was a really neat idea, but they weren't convinced it could work. And I'm, I'm like, well, I have this case study. <laughs> It actually does work, mm -hmm. uh, and, and no, I just got a lot of nods, you know, shaking of the heads, and people weren't ready to commit to that. So, I, I went back to my oldest, uh, most trusted designer in Charlotte, and Jeff Sutoff, who's a great guy, best designer I know, um, and and said, you know, we've been working together for so long, because he built the Boxman brand with me back when it was a smash project. And he said, why don't we just create a company ourselves? Jeff liked the idea. We, uh, we decided to, um, to, to, to take a risk and, and create a, a company together. And, and that's where Out of the Ether uh, was born um, last year, as a matter of fact. So the idea for, for Out of the Ether was um, not to create these sustainable marketing programs. It wasn't to do traditional advertising and marketing. It was to focus on the things that we believe matter most now to, to, to businesses, and that's branding, number one, because I come from this school that says branding before everything else. You know, um, so create, create brand, uh, refresh brands, uh, build websites that were SEO compliant and that provided a, a quality narrative for, our, for, for clients um, and, and also spoke to Google in a way that got their attention. And then uh, developing strategies for, for these companies to, to utilize their internal resources to, to build um, basically sustainable marketing programs within their organizations. So whereas Smash or 2.0 focused on creating these sustainable marketing programs that nobody wanted to commit to, Ether is basically going back, using utilizing some of the old school tactics, and especially with regard to branding, and then understanding SEO and building websites that, that last up to five years without having to redo them, um, that are SEO compliant and, and you know smart, and then providing these strategies to help uh, businesses 
take what we've built for them and, and keep the momentum going. Because unlike the old black hat tactic ways uh, in the, in the mid 2000s, you don't get ranked high just because you put a website out there anymore. It takes time. And, and part of the algorithm for Google, as we've learned over the years, is they like to see fresh content. And uh, the only way you're going to do that is by you creating the content yourself. So far, you know, we've, we've, we added a staff member last year, and um, it's been a fairly slow go, but uh, the momentum's picked up this year, and, you know, we're pretty happy with where we're at. When you think about your customers for that, I'm, I would imagine while everyone has a base understanding of what they need to be doing for SEO or, or they've heard the term, it seems to me that ultimately it comes back to, are you telling a good story about your business? And can you connect with your customer? It's been my experience that a good number of businesses don't even really understand who their real customer is. So if they're not understanding truly who their customer is, and you're trying to pitch them on the idea of telling great stories that connect the brand, how challenging is that? For, for you as a business to make those connections? And do you have to do a little bit of, of selling on the concept of, of the strategy of brand versus the tactic of SEO? Yeah, so something that I learned while I was doing rebooting Smash 2.0 was that there's an element of education involved uh, with, with the, our, our target audience or small to mid-sized companies that are billing from five to fifteen million dollars a year so anything more than that uh you know we're, we're too small to handle and frankly we just we don't want to do uh anything less than that uh, is you're expecting the work that we do to do too much you know so uh there, there's our sweet spot and and these people for the most part understand how marketing works you know uh they have maybe a cmo on staff and but the tactics that they're that they're using, even though a lot of them are coming on now to, to utilizing social media and and AdWords and things like that, um, there's what happens is clients are so close to their product and service or service that they they don't see the wood for the trees, right? So they they don't understand the uh, their own product or service from their from their um, client's perspective and that's one of the tricks isn't it of, of advertising is as a copywriter that i learned early on is that my most important audience when i'm thinking about solving problems is not my client <laughs> it's my client's client so when when i'm thinking about a headline for you know for an ad or something uh back in the day I would think out of from the perspective of, of the audience. And you don't just walk into a place and understand who that is. So the first thing that we do at Ether for every project is we perform this comprehensive branding and communications audit. And inside of that audit, we're asking a ton of questions. And at the at the end of the day, what we were trying to what we're trying to discern are things like, you know, what are your goals for for the website for the digital refresh for whatever and and most importantly who is your audience what are their pain points how do they perceive you on their own most clients don't can't wrap their heads around that right without having an outside uh 
an outside element come in and, and help them understand who that is. Now, so there's an element of education involved with that. And then absolutely when it comes to the to talking about these new tools like search engine optimization for websites and, and most people will, will nod their head that they understand, but they really don't understand. So it's been a challenge for me to try to explain how it works um, so that a normal person can understand it. it and, and honestly, what it comes down to is, is being authentic, telling a better story. You're right. It's, a, it's about, and, and so someone that's a CMO for a company that the, they've been a CMO for 15 or 20 years, they, they go, well, I understand how analytics work in terms of traditional advertising and marketing, but not really with, with search engine. And um, so part of, part of what we do is we, we create dashboards uh, that they can monitor web traffic and they can start to see the correlation between web traffic and, and, and inquiries for their services or even sales. And um, it, it, It's been a challenge to try to explain it, especially because I, I know a lot about this stuff. And when I start talking about it, I tend to get a little passionate about it. And it's the stupidest thing in the world to be passionate. I'm talking about search engine optimization, you know? I mean, like, how can I, but it, it just, because I understand how it works, it's it's fun to talk about. And Sure. Uh, it's all about making the cash register ring for the customer. Right. It, and, you know, it's been my experience that there are um, a lot of entrepreneurs that start in business have a passion for something specific, much like you had a passion for copy and helping people sell things. Yeah. Um, but whether you're a mechanic or a physical therapist or, or whatever, you have this passion for doing what it is that you do. So you start a business because you want to or because you have to. And, and then pretty soon there's all these other things that you need to do to get people to come to you and they're not just going to come to you because you're a great copywriter or you're you excel at physical therapy and get people moving again or you do a bang-up job pun intended I guess on <laughs> as a mechanic they're going to come to you because you're telling that story out there but you don't know how to tell your story right. because you're you're the mechanic or you're right. the physical therapist and you don't have you don't know how to tell that story and on top of all of that, you have all of these other little things that you have to do to keep your business running, like billing. Mm -hmm. And if you're that physical therapist dealing with insurance issues and scheduling and all of those things that you have to do now, which you didn't really have to do when you were just a mechanic working for somebody else or a physical therapist working for someone else or a copywriter working for an agency, how do you... How do you help people with that, entrepreneurs with that? Because I would imagine in, in the market range that you're talking about, there are quite a few people that have started their business and have some experience, but their experience is narrow to the domain that they're focused on for their, for their business. Does, does that question make sense? I mean, how do you, how do you help them understand that, that's a, that they need to figure out how to tell that story that, that resonates with their customers? Yeah, so every company that exists today must have a website, all right? That's, that's a given. That's, that's they, and before they have a website, they must have a brand of some, even if it's just uh, 
an aerial typeface with the name of a company, that's 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 going to be the brand right there. Um, but you have to have a website because search is only going to increase and get better. I, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at my crystal ball. I don't see anything else usurping search in anytime soon. And so how do people find you? So, so word of mouth clearly is the best advertising. It's always the best advertising. Um, and, and social media has helped uh, advance and expedite search, or I'm sorry, um, word of mouth. So, so that was how that plays out. So, but, but search, okay, assuming that everyone has a website, on this website, you have to understand that there's a real human being that's searching for something out there. Now, how do you know let's let's say that that your company solves a problem for 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 Bob Bob goes to his to his Google browser he opens it up he types uh, physical therapy you have a physical therapy practice it's it's got a website um, the chances of, of Bob finding you have everything to do with with this thing SEO right so so how you build a website uh, needs to talk to, to Google in a certain way. But there's this other audience that is Bob, who needs to, once he gets to your website, understand how you solve Bob's problems. And and one of the things that most websites do today that that haven't been professionally audited and, and create crafted is there's just, this is us, this is what we do, this is, our, our, our team, this is this. And, and they don't focus on the audience necessarily. So there is no narrative, it's just a laundry list of capabilities. And frankly, you know, for most businesses, that alone isn't going to compel someone to take action. Now, the one thing that advertising today, like on a website versus advertising 20, 25 years ago, have in common is that you want someone who's reading that ad, you want someone who's on your website to take some kind of action. Now, if your laundry listing bullet points about, you know, what your capabilities are and the awards that you've won and, and this and that, it's your website's all about you. Now, the trick, what we try to do is we try to create websites that are all about the audience so that when someone does, because if we're going to build them, people are going to find them because we're building, web, you know, SEO compliant websites so that people can find them. That's the trick. That's number one. I mean, once you get outside of, of word of mouth, uh, you've got to rely on, on search or, you know, you could still do traditional. I'm, in this scenario, there's I'm just taking traditional out of it all together. But um, so you've got word of mouth, and then you've got search. And just because you have a website doesn't mean someone's going to find you. You have to make sure that your website is built in a way that they can find you. And then when they do find you, man, that's gold. You've got them right where you want them. So the last thing you want to do is push them away. You want to you want to make them come in further and further and deeper into your website, deeper into your story, so that at the end of their experience on your website, they feel a connection. And they're, they're you know, that maybe they're making it, they're buying something from, you know, your e-commerce store, or they're signing up for your newsletter, or they're sending an email to ask about how they can get your service. Um, because that's the connection between old school advertising and, and advertising today is that you still want action. You want, you want these people to do something, right? 
Okay, so this is where the copywriting uh, comes in. So being able to craft a narrative for a client that matters to someone who's on a website is, uh, is the same thing as writing a great print ad from 25 years ago. 99% of clients do not have that capability. So even if it's not me, I think that anybody who's building a website needs to go out and find a copywriter to help tell that story because there's no way they're going to tell it themselves. They're just not. They're too close to their product or service. They can't, you know, it's going to end up being a bullet list of accomplishments. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Let's, um, let's shift a little bit here and talk a little bit more about you oh. and how it relates to what you do with every day. What are you the, the most passionate about and, and how does it tie into your work as a, as a business owner, entrepreneur? What am I most passionate about? Oh, wow. Okay, so what am I most passionate about? I think, I think today I'm most passionate about my own personal change, right? How I, I, I decided a long time ago that I'm not static, like everything in, in the world, like websites even. You know, the, if you've got a static website, <laughs> sorry, going back to this, but if you've got a static website, that's going to penalize you at Google. You have to stay active. You have to have fresh content that reinforces your promise of value and your keywords and whatnot. Well, I, I apply that to my life that, you know, I'm in a constant state of, of, of metamorphosis. And, and I think having, I have two daughters that are teenagers and you know, I think back to taking a trip with them to the beach and they were just little girls. And to me, that was like two weeks ago. And to them, they can't even remember it. So they've been a great source of awareness for me to realize that I am constantly changing. So I think the thing I'm most passionate about today is, is trying to, to become a better person um, and, and to understand that Every day I get up, I have an opportunity to become a better person and, and, and take a baby steps in the direction of someone that uh, you know, I want to be. I want to be more compassionate. I want to be kinder. I want to be more generous. Um, and, and these are just recent uh, ideas for me because I think for a good chunk of my life, you know, I was part of this machine of the world that says, you know, go out there and... and, and and do great in business and, and win and, and all this. And, and it's a very selfish outlook. If it, it, can, it can absolutely overwhelm you in terms of how you fit into the world. And, and now that I'm in my early 50s, with, with age comes wisdom, I guess. You know, I'm like, I'm, I realize things are going to take care of themselves. I'm, as long as I'm honest and I'm working hard, everything's going to be okay. But what I have to really work on is ensuring that I'm moving in the right direction so that my family is happier and that the people around me are, are benefiting from being around me, that I'm being more generous, that I'm, that I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to, to volunteer, to help out. And, and uh, these things today are the things that make me happiest. So if, it, it's just, it's, it's an interesting uh, transition from, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, when my focus was exclusively on how to make more money, how to be more successful. Uh, and today, you know, I, I'm more focused on uh, how to, how, to how, how I can personally change to become a better human being, you know, and... and Do you think that that level of authenticity translates into your, into your business? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, it, it, I'll say that I, 
like just like I've never lied for anybody in in any advertising. Um, I when I came into social media in 2008, 2007, 2008, I decided I was just going to be me. Let the chips fall where they may. Boy, I'm using a lot of cliches today. Um, <laughs> must be these headphones. Headphones, yes. Uh, I feel like I'm in a yeah a vacuum. The um, authenticity has been something that people have attached to me since, since the early days. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I got sober 27 years ago, something like that. Uh, and at that point, you know, in my life, I went from being in a very dark place to in a very, very good place. Uh, and it continues to, it continues to be a, a wonderful place. And, but I, you know, I, I've been pretty open about being an alcoholic uh, from the early days of Twitter, and you know, I, and the reason why is not to to say, hey, look at me. It was because since day one, it was about I know, hey, man, if 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 I'm an alcoholic and I was out there suffering, then I know there are other people out there. I mean, I've sat in the rooms of AA long enough to know that all walks of life people experience you know alcoholism and we question it we wonder whether we are alcoholics or not if there's a way out to, and i think by me being open about this uh my recovery has helped define me as being authentic and uh has actually helped other people i've had lots and lots of people come to me and and say dude you know, you talking about this has really helped me because I'm now sober. And, you know, there's no better feeling than that, you know, to know. It, not that I take credit for it at all, but uh, just by being authentic and telling the truth and, you know, not hiding from things helps. So, yeah, I, I pulled that out in this 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 uh, the idea of just being honest and authentic into business. And, um, you know, anyone I work with will tell you that, whether they like me or not, at least I'm authentic. So. <laughs> I would say that's true. What's the hardest thing that you have to do each day? Well, um, the hardest thing I have to do each day is uh, is accept that uh, I have to keep going and, and keep working harder today than I did the previous day. I think uh, it's 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 being humble. Um, to, to understand that the, the work is not over, it's never going to be over. Um, you know, there, there are lots of things like, you know, billing or keeping time or, or dealing with a, a client who has a thousand changes to something that should not have a thousand changes. Um, those are just part of doing the job, I think. Uh, but uh, the hardest thing I have to do is, is accept that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in my life. Uh, and I'm not in this other place where I used to dream I would be. Um, and then, and then, you know, I give myself like 10 seconds of that and go, okay, I'm good. Let's just move on now. So it, it, just keeping an open mind during the day and, uh, not, not letting it get all cluttered up with the, the worries of the world, I think is tough. Well, let's give the, the, the converse to that. What's the easiest thing that you have to do every day? The easiest thing I have to do every day is uh, is write. That's the easiest thing I do, whether it's for a client or for myself, writing poetry or blog posts. Uh, it's the most natural thing 
that I do. And, and it, it sounds, it, when it comes to the business stuff, it sounds, uh, it sounds a little showy, I think, to say that because, you know, yeah, the, it's, it's easy to write the kind of narrative that, that can turn a struggling business into a successful business. Um, but it is, I, I, it, I don't know how it's this way. Making that transition from Jim, you know, the, the writer to Jim, this person who exists in an audience for a law firm, um, is, is an easy transition. Once I know all the information, I'm able to make that jump over to there. And then writing for the company in their perspective with, from the, I'm sorry, writing for the company in the perspective of the audience is, is like so natural. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing to be really good at. I got to tell you. I mean, I, I, I kind of wish I, why couldn't I have been a good heart surgeon or something, you know, it's, instead I'm really good at this thing. And, uh, and it's, it's absolutely natural. So it, I, I love to write. It's, it's my favorite thing. Um, if I could just, there, there are times I'll tell you that I, I just don't have enough alone time. You know, we've got, we got a busy house. My, 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 uh, I have an office in my home and uh, my 17-year-old daughter, she gets home from, from high school at like 11 in the morning. So by the time I, I, I take my dogs to the park first thing in the morning and I get back and I get my life in order and I'm about to sit down, there's an interruption right there. You know, So uh, f f being able to find the time to, to get in that space where I can do the easy stuff has been a challenge, but the, the easy stuff is the writing itself. If you had a group of entrepreneurs in the room that uh, were all thinking about starting their own business, what's the best advice you would give them based on your experience? Be willing to risk. I mean, that's 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 the bottom line. I, it's funny because I I just had a deep conversation with my oldest daughter about the idea of risk recently, and it and it dawned on me that this is a, a thing. This this concept of risk uh, is something that every successful person is willing to embrace. You know, no offense to accountants. I like accountants. We need accountants. But if, if an entrepreneur doesn't want to go sit in a cubicle and become an accountant, um, an entrepreneur has other ideas, right? So, so an accountant's job, again, no, no offense to accounts, is very predictable. It's very safe. You go in the same place every day. You know, you, you, there are very few surprises. You know, you do your job, you go home. Right? An entrepreneur's life isn't like that. It's, it's absolute chaos. So I, I think there, there needs to be an element of risk uh, involved, a daring, a certain daring for, for, entrepreneurs uh, to become successful and, and not not just uh, in a chaotic way but in a very guarded way but understanding that risk is an absolute component of becoming successful at what you're doing you have to be willing to risk you have to be willing to take that leap of faith my dad worked for union carbide for i don't know over 30 years and I, during one of my businesses, he said to me something like, and my father was an, a, a cost accountant. So one of the things he said to me was, you know, there's, there's something to be said for going to work and doing your job and coming home. 
And I said, yeah, but I'm just not wired that way, know, you know, and, and for most of my life, I've, I've been an entrepreneur, although I've been in and out of corporate world periodically doing different stints and things. I have found on that topic of risk, and, and I, I want to ask you a question about that in a moment, but I've found that I still am able to take risks at this point in my life, but I tend to be a little bit more risk averse than I was when I was younger. Hmm. Are you encountering the same thing? Are you? Yeah, I'm not bungee jumping anymore or anything. Um, no. Uh, yeah, I think I think the with with age comes wisdom, right? So, uh, the 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 point where we have to make a decision to risk changes. It's not. The idea of risk itself is still, it's, hey, you know, you get butterflies before the big game and before you make a big decision. Um, but the the idea of risk is what I'm talking about. So um, the, the kinds of things that we choose to, to take risks on, I think, change over time, right? I want to go back to sure. talking about something else, too, sure. by the way. Um, the older we get, the the wiser we become, and in, in the kinds of things that we 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 take risks on change. Uh, it, or at least, as for me, it sounds like it has for you too. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bungee jump or something off of a bridge in West Virginia uh, today, unless you know <laughs> there's a really good reason to do it. But uh, it, 30, 20 years ago, I, I probably were more likely to just go for it, you know, than I than I am today. Um, but the idea of risk, you, we have to uh, always keep that at the fore and, and understand that, you know, th as you move throughout your day, there are going to be opportunities to, to make decisions, and some of those are going to require more risk than others. But, you know, it, 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 none of us are, well, none of us get in to working for ourselves because we, we want to go sit in a cubicle somewhere. And again, I want to make it clear there's nothing wrong with that. Um, as a matter of fact, I want to give a shout out to my wife, who uh, who is the strongest person I know. She is a paralegal for a law firm, and she has a cubicle job, and she likes it. She that's how she is wired. She was wired to believe that here's what I do. I go and I I do this every day, and I've you know it's just, she has a strong traditional work ethic like that where it's. I do not. I, I mean, it's a different kind of work ethic. Um, I had an opportunity after I left Boxman to go to a major insurance company in town and for more money than I've ever made. And uh, it was the commute was pretty far from where I lived, and, 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 and I'd have to wear khakis and golf shirts every day to work. Uh, and if you know me, you know that I'm more of a T-shirts and a jeans kind of guy. Um, and... Before I made that decision, there's this other part of risk, right? Before, uh, before we made the decision, you know, we talked to my wife about it. We, and she looked me in the eyes and said, "You'll go crazy." She knows. She knows that I'm not cut out for, for, for a nine to five gig. You know that I've I work weekends, I work nights, whatever. Whenever I have to work, whenever I need to work, I can work. Um, you know, so the person who knows me better than anyone else in the world, when I don't even trust myself, and she tells me, no, stick to this. You, everything will be fine. Everything will work out um, is, is remarkable. And I, I mean, but without her and her being a, a rock over there for me, um, you know, I would not be here where I, where I am today and, and have the opportunity to take chances and things uh, on this. 
So a shout out to the cubicle people. <laughs> there you go. Is there anything else you'd like to, to um, share with the entrepreneurs who might be listening? Hmm. It's just, again, going to sound a little cliche, but each one of us has this little voice inside that, that kind of directs us as we move through the day. And that voice uh, is not insignificant. It, for entrepreneurs, we've already, we've already heard this voice, we've already acknowledged this voice, and it's set us on the path to where we are right now. Don't muffle that voice. Don't squash out that voice. Consist consistently seek out your gut and listen to it. And yes, you're going to have all these tools to help you measure how, how successful you are and things. But man, the, the thing that's going to drive you to where you are is, is, is that voice. It's that gut, that, that feeling that, that you know what you're supposed to be doing. So even when all the odds are against you and it looks like everything's down and you, that gut is still telling you, don't give up. Don't give up. You've got to listen to it. You've got to acknowledge it. And and, and you've got to trust in it. And uh, it, it, at least for me and, and other people I know who've gone through, you know, startups and bootstrapping and whatnot, uh, they all have the, the, the ability to, to acknowledge this voice and to trust this voice and uh, to listen to their gut and kind of let, let that guide them. Um, because God knows we have all, all the tools in the world to help us navigate through through business systems and whatnot, but um, it's that gut, man. That gut, that's what your passion is. And uh, we just have to ensure that we, we don't forget it's there. Thank you for sharing, Jim. Oh, Appreci yeah. Appreciate your time today. Hey, thank you, David. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. I've really actually enjoyed this more than I thought. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I'm David Harkins. See you next time. Visit our website at workinglifeproject.com to learn more about the project and sign up for our newsletter. The Working Life Project podcast is produced by me, David Harkins. Mike Harkins wrote our theme music. The Working Life Project podcast is brought to you by David Harkins Company, a business strategy consultancy working with entrepreneurs and nonprofit organizations.